Chat of the latest internet sensation. If it's happening in Melbourne, Seb Costello all over it. I am so excited. Microwaves that turn into cameras, etc. Pinch me. I'm real. Seven. Uh, it's a confidence boost that I can keep my call at, at the end. Nice dress, by the way. Is that an Ivanka? Good morning, Seb, and good morning, Gordon. And this is... Weekend Breakfast with Seb Costello on Triple M. It is six past eight. Good morning and happy Saturday. And I come to you just hours after the 2016 Melbourne Press Club Quill Awards. This is the Journalism Awards for Melbourne across TV, radio and print. And I tell you what, the journos can put on a show. In fact, the Energy Minister, Josh Frydenberg, he watched this whole thing go down. And here's how he described the behaviour. Extremely disappointed uh, in pretty childish behaviour. That just about sums it up. Josh, look, I'm sorry we disappointed you. But the good news is Triple M won, as far as I know, our first ever Quill Award. The radio news report for our report from Usain Bolt's 100-metre victory in Rio was judged the best radio news report of 2016. So a great result. In fact, when the name was read out, this is how we felt. Pinch me. I'm real. Summed it up absolutely completely. Now, lots to cover this morning. It's a Saturday in Melbourne, so there's always plenty happening. Arnold Schwarzenegger is in town, and you know what that means. Get off the couch. Don't be a couch potato and just sit down and watch movies or watch TV except if they're my movies. Of course, you can watch them all you want. Very good call, Arnie. Now, I interviewed Arnie yesterday, and I want to come back to this later in the show, and he listed something that he absolutely hates. What does Arnie absolutely despise? I'll bring you that later in the show. Nick Kyrgios has been killing it in recent weeks. He's knocked off Novak Djokovic twice in a fortnight and was due to play Roger Federer this morning in the quarterfinals of the Indian Wells Tournament in California. That hasn't happened. For the story, we go to a member of the Triple M family, former Channel 10 reporter too. Duncan Mackenzie McCarg is at the Indian Wells Masters. Morning, Duncan. Uh, good morning, Seb. Yeah, big breaking news coming out of Indian Wells here this morning with Nick Kyrgios withdrawing from that quarterfinal with Roger Federer, citing illness. Now, as you said, this could build as the match of the tournament, possibly a career-defining match for Nick, but he's just released a statement or released a statement a couple of hours ago saying, unfortunately, I'm unable to play today due to sickness. At this stage, we think it's food poisoning, and I'm praying it's nothing more. After a restless night of being sick, I have nothing left. And to play a great champion like Roger, I need to be at my best to have a chance. I don't take this decision lightly. These are the matches we train for, but I'm in no fit state to take to the court. I'm sorry to the fans that I'm unable to take to the court, but I have to put my health first, and I hope you understand. He goes on to wish Roger all the best in that statement and saying that he'll be back. But, Seb, this is a massive, massive story, as I mentioned. I mean, Nick was playing some of the best tennis of his career. As you said, he just beat uh, Novak Djokovic uh, twice in a fortnight and was looking the goods to really test himself against the hottest player in the world, Roger Federer, who just won the Australian Open. So a crushing, crushing blow for Nick, and um, let's just hope he can pull through this one. We're talking to Duncan McKenzie McCarg, who is at the Indian Wells Masters in California. Nick Kyrgios has withdrawn from the tournament, as you just heard. And Duncan, take us through the time differences here. What, at what stage local time were you, uh, did Nick actually withdraw from the tournament? At what stage was the match due to take place? And what do we do now? So, so basically the match was due to take place at midday uh, California time, uh, which is about 6 a.m. Australian Eastern Standard Time. And he, he sent out the tweet at about 10 a.m. local time. So it was about two hours. I'm sure he probably 
would have uh, informed the ATP and tournament officials that he was withdrawing before uh, sending out the tweet. But, yeah, it was about two hours' time. Uh, but still, there were a lot of fans that were sort of gathering in and lining up for this match. Because, as I said, this was a hugely, muchly anticipated match. And then for them to be told over the PA uh, about half an hour before the match started, uh, so many fans were incredibly disappointed. Roger Federer obviously had to go on court and uh, and speak with the fans and apologise on Nick's behalf. But, yeah, it's just a, just a terrible, terrible blow for, for Nick. I mean, he's... Uh, he just seems to be copying it left, right and centre. And then when he does start to play some good tennis, something like this happens. So um, it's very disappointing for him. Now, food poisoning two hours before a match, there's no sort of suggestion that he's enjoyed the delights of California a bit too much? <laughs> it's funny you say that, Seb. Actually, about 36 hours ago, um, he was playing doubles with, uh, with a Serbian player called Nenat Zimanić. And now there's a few conspiracy theories going around as to Nick's unavailability yeah. here this morning. So it was about 36 hours ago, he was playing tennis, and uh, in between points of his doubles match, there was a spectator who offered him some fries or some chips from the stands, and he kindly obliged and ate a couple of the chips and went on to continue playing. And some people are saying, well, it was the chips that was his undoing <laughs> is the reason why he's uh, curled up in the fetal position. So uh, well, I'm sure we'll get to the bottom of it in a couple of days' time. At the moment, I think all that Nick can really summon is a tweet from his uh, from his hotel bedroom. So hopefully we'll get the full story in a couple of days. The person who offered the chips wasn't any linked to the Federer camp, was he? <laughs> well, mate, there's a few uh, there's a few gifts going around the internet as we speak, and a few a few memes that actually it was Roger's work. But um, look, mate, you wouldn't have thought so. But seriously, <laughs> like 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 I said, I mean, what a what a horrible horrible blow for the fans. I mean, there were so many fans. It's 35 degrees here in California, Deb. It's a perfect Friday afternoon. So many people looking forward to this. So much of the media was looking forward to this as well. And, uh, and for Nick to sort of stay at home or stay in his hotel room, yeah, it's very, very disappointing. Very interesting. It's reminding me of the infamous Sally the Waitress story from the 1995 Rugby World Cup where supposedly the All Blacks went out to dinner the night before the final against South Africa. Of course, the tournament was in South Africa and this mysterious Sally the Waitress is said to have poisoned the dinner of the All Blacks and that's why they couldn't perform and the Springboks ended up winning. I wonder if we'll have the same sort of story come out later about this man that or, or woman that offered chips. <laughs> Maybe it was Merkers work, Seb. I mean, who knows? I mean, I know Roger's got a, a, a lot of minders and hangers-on these days, so who knows? It could be, could be one from this camp. But I, I seriously doubt it. Or Nick's got on the P155. We shall wait and see. Duncan McKenzie McCarg is over there in California doing an awesome job. Follow him on Twitter, too. Goes to all the big sporting events over there in the USA. Mate, thanks for joining us. Thanks, Seb. Pushing the buttons for us this morning is Tom from Triple M's Night Show. Tom and Ollie, morning, mate. Morning. How's it all going? Uh, crazy. Yeah? I'm going to say that. You're loving it? Our show is absolutely wild. <laughs> I'm amazed at what people will share with us. What's the explicit segment again? Uh, it's called Naughty After Nine. It's my favourite. It's insane. What were some of the topics this week on Naughty <laughs> After Nine? Hang to on, be honest. Hang on. Wait, 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 wait. <laughs> Uh, the kids heading off to Auskick at the moment, yeah. possibly netball or basketball. Maybe just uh, flick it onto Light FM for a little while. Uh, so fire away, Tommy. Some of the uh, some of the topics we had for Naughty After Nine this week. One of them was uh, dot dot dot, and then I accidentally pooed. <laughs> so follow, following through, I suppose, is one of the them. follow through. Yes, uh, I reckon the Triple M family would have come to the fore with that one. 
there was some absolute crackers oh, in that would have sense. had some good stories. Well there, done, Triple M family. There is some insane stories coming out through that one. Marvellous. Uh, what else did we have? I can't even remember. This week was an absolute blur. That was that was pretty much the major. Was there one? The there was one, one I heard about uh, injuries that came about <laughs> by the act of love making. Yeah, love making injuries is the nice way to put it. We put it differently after nine o'clock, of course. Right, but... exactly. Well, that's naughty after nine, and we haven't even clicked on to nine a.m. yet. So no. we'll leave that there. But mate, thanks for being a part of the weekend breakfast. A bit later on, I want to tell you a story uh, about what has got to be a good nominee for clown of the week slash idiot of the week. A motorist out there on the Princess Highway near the Corrigan Road intersection. Well, look, he hasn't covered himself in glory. We will cover that pretty shortly. Joining me in studio is our sports guru, Jack Heverin. Good morning. Morning, Sev. This isn't naughty after nine, is it? No, no. We're <laughs> keeping it nice and clean here. Tommy uh, from Tom and Ollie, of course, pushing the buttons for us this morning. And their ram- rampagingly successful segment, Naughty After Nine, is lighting up Melbourne Radio with uh, what are some of the pearly topics we've had, Tommy? Uh, when have you followed through? When have you uh, followed making through? Love and we're injuries. not talking about you've decided to put a set of life goals together yeah. and you've actually accomplished those life goals, are we? This is not about a New Year's resolution, is no. it? Yeah. <laughs> it's about there I sat, broken hearted, yeah. went to pass wind. Although we did have how many times have you done it in a day? And somebody did call up and say that they'd done it 24 times. And we are talking about the passionate act yeah. of yes, lovemaking between a, a, a man and a, whoever. Clearly they don't work. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's, that's a long day. Yes, I reckon you'd be pretty sore. How many? 24 times. 24 times. With themselves? No, with no. somebody else. With there you go. I was going to say, there's a few year eight students out there. Yeah. Good morning to everyone yeah, on their they, way to junior well, cricket. Yeah. yeah, there you go. That too. That too. That's why we always have a disclaimer. Well, that's right. It's not even 9am yet. Okay, no. let's clean this up with a bit of a chat about cricket, which uh, has been absolutely fascinating. The Indian series I've been loving, and they're in, is it ranchy or, or ranchy? Oh, well, I think it's tomato, tomato, right, isn't it? Okay. But yeah, I'm going with ranchy. That's, ranchy. The, that's the Aussie sort of, it's ranchy sort of thing. But they've been awesome, Australia so far. It, that, the wicket that they're playing on, Seb, for all of the talk of it being a, a dry turning track, so far after two days, it's just basically clay. So it's just going straight on and good surface to bat on. Aussies proved that yesterday. Steve Smith was outstanding. Ended up 178 not out. Glenn Maxwell making his first time. Now, I think that's, it's amazing how Steve Smith's been so good as our Australian captain, yet maybe it's the Victorian in his coming out. Glenn Maxwell's the story, I think, out of yesterday. We tried up to 16 players in this middle order, and we've had no success at all trying to find the answer. Maybe Glenn Maxwell's the number six and bowling a bit of off spin, and he fields the house down as well. Maybe he's our solution at the number six spot. I know a lot of people are saying this, but you kind of sit there going, how long did it take Cricket Australia to think this might be a good idea? Yeah. Well, he's only ever played test cricket in the subcontinent. He's never played a, a test match outside of there. So it's obviously spin bowling that comes into the conversation. And when we're in Australian conditions, we want a seamer. That's why Mitchell Marsh has got more opportunities than, than maybe what he should have. But with an Ashes series around the quarter now, and with Glenn Maxwell's ability to take the game away from the opposition, you'd have to think that he's just about booked his spot for the first test at the Gabba. He was sitting on 99 for a while, wasn't he? Overnight. Well, overnight, he was. He had some thinking to do. And then he got to 99. And I, I was waiting to go out. And I was about 20 minutes late for where I had to go. Because <laughs> I think, come on, Maxie, just get one through. And in the end, even the shot that he made his 100 on was through the slips. Could have easily been caught if they had more than one slip. So... He lives by the sword and he dies by the sword, Glenn Maxwell, but he was outstanding yesterday. Eventually went out for 104. Just to backtrack and go back to Steve Smith, though, 178, and they still couldn't get him out. 
361 balls, Seb. I reckon that's the key stat in all of this. He was watchful. He was patient. He just nullified the, the Indian bowlers. They threw, they threw quicks at him. They threw spinners. They threw reverse sw- swing. They got a second new ball out. Didn't matter what they did. Steve Smith had all of the answers. He was just a steady hand. And I, I think if we win this test and, and win the Border Gavaska Trophy, that innings will be the one that won it for us, I think. Gee, we can turn on some of our own. You think back to the summer when <laughs> things were going terribly against South Africa. Steve Smith was a waste of space. And, yeah. you know, the team needed to pull themselves together. And he then goes and delivers that sort of innings. It's just incredible. So what were people saying about Glenn Maxwell after the second day's play? Oh, it's all been positive. All, all, the, all the love in the air for Glenn Maxwell. Probably, again, because he faced so many balls. It wasn't the Glenn Maxwell that we're used to seeing in 2020 cricket where he reverse ramps first ball and he's hitting over the top of the keeper's head. He's changed. And he spoke last night after the match and said that he thinks for a long time that he's been a red ball cricketer. I've spoken a lot about red ball cricket and a lot of interviews that I've done. I've spoken at lengths about how I've always felt like red ball cricket's my, my best format. And to be able to show that at the test level is something that... I'm extremely proud of and and yeah just I can finally show like almost show people with a result instead of just just talking so yeah just incredibly relieved to to have played innings like that. Glenn Maxwell there and he sounds absolutely stoked. Well he was almost watching the video of the press conference he was almost he almost started to cry again he cried when he made the hundred which is great and he almost went again after the game so it shows what it means and I think, Seb, if you look at that number six spot, since Mike Hussey retired in 2013, we've never really had anyone that's grabbed it. I know it's only one inning, so we don't want to get too carried away, but we live in Melbourne, so we're allowed to get excited by Maxi. <laughs> but he might be the man. He might be the man that comes in and takes this spot, and his bowling could be handy as well. We're allowed to do that. If you have grown up in this city, you grew up going to the cricket and screaming, we love blank because he's a Victorian <laughs> and we're allowed to do that for Glenn Maxwell. Jack, just let me move that off the papers. Um, oh, give me a spell. No, is that uh, your quill you're talking this, about, Seb? Uh, yeah, this is I a, should say congratulations and, is, uh, and thoroughly deserved. Oh, well done you, to mate. you and all the team here at Triple M. Yes, no, very kind of you. Last night, the Melbourne Journalism Awards and the Triple M Hot Breakfast won for my report from Rio on the Usain Bolt 100 metres gold medal. And it's a big sort of clear block with a quill or a feather inside it ready to write and that's why uh, it was on Jack's paper so I just had to move it Tom yeah was it yeah <laughs> It wasn't really on the paper. Uh, no, it was. You were separated by a large desk and was sitting right <laughs> actually, in between you actually two. Actually over the other side of the desk. Like you had to get up and move oh, it. On, but uh, well done. And I, I don't think it was necessary for you to get up Paul Roos style and say, here it is. But, you know, be your own person, Seb. Here it is. Yeah. That's what I'm talking about. <laughs> Draw. Now, uh, let's talk about Laurel Hubbard. Who is Laurel Hubbard? So Laurel Hubbard is competing in Melbourne tomorrow in a uh, weightlifting uh, as part of the Arnold Classic, in the 90-kilogram class, which is normal, there's a, there's a hell of a lot of uh, people competing in that. The difference is that Laurel Hubbard is a New Zealander and has competed previously in weightlifting as Gavin Hubbard. But in the male a, competition. is a transgender athlete. Uh, and it's, it's one that's always up for debate. It doesn't matter whether it's weightlifting, running. We've just been through it all with Caster Semenya from South Africa in the last couple of years. It's always that conversation, is it fair or is it not? And, and I guess it's, there's a moral argument, there's a, an ethical argument, there's even a, a, a physical argument to it as well. But 
It's certainly created uh, some headlines, that's for sure, both here and internationally. So what we've got is a person who was born a man who competed in male weightlifting. They've now transitioned, and they're now a woman competing in female weightlifting. Yes. Okay. And the IOC, I understand, established some criteria around this, didn't they? So there are rules when it comes to transgender athletes, and so it was on Laurel to demonstrate that her total testosterone levels were below 10 nanomoles, and I'll have to take some advice as to what exactly that means. But essentially, she had to show that her testosterone levels were at a level that was normal for a female for at least 12 months prior to competing. Yeah, and that's the important thing too, Seb, you're right, is that she's had to basically sit and wait, pass a number of different tests, a 12 months worth of tests, before being actually ticked off to compete in, in any sort of event. So it's not as if it's happened really quickly. It's been a long process for Laurel Hubbard to get to this point now. I have to say my first reaction, and this is a complete hot take, so look, I'll take advice from people, is that in a sport like weightlifting where muscle maturity is so important, it doesn't seem particularly fair on the surface of it. If you've been able to get your body to a stage where you have the muscle maturity of Mm. a man, and then you make that transition and compete against the women. I can I can see that. And I guess the other side of it too is that Laurel has competed as Gavin. So to your point, she, she has competed at a level internationally where, as you say, muscle maturity enables her to do that. It's To me, if it's ticked off, uh, then, then it's ticked off. I'm sure. like you. I, I, don't, uh, I don't profess to be an expert on the, the science behind it and the chemistry behind it. But there is some conversation. I've been reading a lot of the social media stuff this morning and doing a bit more on it. There is some conversation that maybe the IOC rules are a bit lenient at the moment to, to enable transgender athletes maybe to make it a bit easier to compete than what it should be. Well, I suppose the reality is it's not a situation they have to deal with all that often. No. So, you know, they're sort of just, I guess, you know, putting it into that basket, whether the rules are tight enough or not, who, who can really tell? I mean, it's probably a conversation I certainly shouldn't be having so soon after the Quill Awards at the Palladium. <laughs> and... In fact, I feel like I'm walking a tightrope as we speak. Why are you sweating? Uh, oh, come on. Yeah. <laughs> because you brought up transgender athletes. No. Uh, if we want to have a conversation about it, one triple three five three. give us a call. Do you think it's fair that Gavin Hubbard can now compete as Laurel, having transitioned to a woman? One triple three five three. You can hit me up on Twitter, at Seb Costello 9 What's your Twitter, Jack? Uh, at Jack Heverin. Really basic, yeah. It took H-E-V-E-R-I-N. me a V-E-R-I-N. Yeah, it took me a long time to think of that. Did yeah. it? Yeah. yeah. Put some work into it. <laughs> Now, mate, did I hear that there is some rumours in sporting administration regarding the Langwarren Cricket Club? (laughs) What now? I heard there were some big changes down at Langwarren. Oh, yeah. Just just decided that I'm old enough and silly enough now at the ripe old age of 31 just to uh, retire from playing playing cricket. So I'm done. (laughs) Now, Tom, Jack Everett walked into the Langwarren Cricket Club as a (laughs) 10-year-old. Wow. He has been playing just about every weekend since then. You are now 31. Yeah. That is a massive contribution to a local organisation. Yeah, and it is. you were the president. It is. But then think of all the stuff that I can do on a Saturday now. So I'll, I'll be at every race meeting. <laughs> I, I would have thought I've never been to the races before on a Saturday in my life. I'll be at the Grand Prix. I'll be playing golf. The world's my oyster now, Seth. Uh, it's the first thing he thinks of. I can go to the races. Yeah. <laughs> Shows you where I'm at, doesn't it? I'm worried it? about you, Jack. <laughs> Triple M is more than just a radio brand these days. We're in the digital space. We're putting together long-form video content. And recently, a video went up there, a very, very successful video, I don't mind telling you. And it was two blokes we sent over to India to investigate how Australia might be able to beat the Indians in cricket on their home soil. And it seems some of our cricketers much, much, much bleh, must have watched it because how about that first test? One of the boys who went over is Damien Timms, and he joins us on the phone. Morning, Damien. 
G'day, mate. How are you? Mate, uh, it sounded like a bit of fun, that uh, going over to India and doing this video. Well, I mean, there's nothing There's nothing like going overseas, playing cricket and just acting like a bit of a fool and, you know, causing, <laughs> some, causing some chaos. Now, among the people you spoke to was a man that claims to be the greatest batting coach in India. <laughs> Who is that yeah. bloke? Um, he is a guy whose name is Arba Gavet. And I was told by another Indian who played first grade cricket with him in the 70s that they that his nickname was Gary after Gary uh, Sobers <laughs> because he thought he was so good, but they all knew that he was completely rubbish. And, <laughs> and the best thing is we completely ran into that guy randomly in a shop when we went to buy a cricket bat. And he just stuck his face in front of the camera and started talking and lo and behold, the following day, we talked him into giving us like a coaching session and the coaching session, you know, initially consisted of going to his apartment and eating ice cream. <laughs> well, he sounds like a great batting coach to me. Yeah, yeah, he's a good bloke. <laughs> what, what sort of, what's the popular flavours of ice cream in India? I don't, I don't know. I actually, I, I asked him what, what flavour it was and he's like, I don't know. My wife made it. Just eat it. I was like, all right, mate. All right. All right. It was some kind of tutti frutti flavor or something like that. I think of all the guidebooks I've ever read about India, eating something that somebody says, I'm not going to tell you what's in it, just eat it, isn't quite advised. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's a bit hard when you're in someone's home and their wife has you know, made it. It's like, you know, you can't, you can't really say no. No. You know, I just, uh, I, put my, I put my polite hat on. And I ate all the ice cream and I smiled. And then we went down to the park and, uh, you know, hit some balls and got some cricket coaching. Fantastic. What's that guy's name? Uh, Abe Gaveka. Abe Gaveka. I wonder if he's yeah. been anywhere near the Indian Wells tennis tournament this morning because Nick Kyrgios <laughs> hasn't made it out to court because of food poisoning. <laughs> I mean... I can put a call through to him, you know. I mean, I'm sure. I'm sure. I, I I suspect that after this film, he will become an international, you know, sports consultant. I would have thought so. We're talking to Damien Timms from Tippy Tappy Sports, who have put together a documentary. Essentially, it's it's a fun a movie video called How to Win in India, and it's him and his mate, a Nikos or Nikos. Nikos. Nikos, who have gone over to India and uh, tried to interview a few people to give the Aussies a couple of ideas. And, mate, uh, you must have been wrapped when we came out in the first test and basically played like we'd watched your movie. Mate, the first thing I did was send an invoice to Cricket Australia. Like, <laughs> here's, our, here's our success fee. Um, unfortunately, Pat Howard hasn't paid it yet, so if you can put a call through to him today, that would be great. All right, we might do that on air. If, if he's uh, still employed by the end of the broadcast, we will give him a ring. <laughs> <laughs> so where can people watch it? Uh, they can go to the Triple M website. Excellent. Straight to Triple, yeah. Triple Look for the Vinda Losers. Damien Timms, thanks for your time. Thanks, mate. Anytime. Hey, Tom Bainbridge is pushing the buttons for us this morning on the weekend breakfast. And, Tommy, I wanted to tell you about this bloke. So last night, we're on the Princess Highway, Corrigan Road, about quarter to ten, and there's a 39-year-old Noble Park guy behind the wheel who okay. gets the idea that he wants to do a burnout in the intersection. Okay, great idea. Not a, It's not really, is it? No. <laughs> no. And uh, anyway, he decides to do it despite there being a police car waiting <laughs> at the red light, watching this whole thing go down. So they put on the reds and blues. He speeds off under heavy acceleration, but lo and behold, he is intercepted. Let's play Breath Test Lotto. Do you reckon he was over 0.05? Surely. He allegedly blew 
0.187, so just over three times the legal limit, and he had a zero alcohol limit license condition. What? So he wasn't supposed why to be... Are you, why are you getting behind the wheel like that? Go away. Go away, 39-year-old man so from insane. Noble Park. So his sedan was impounded for 30 days. He'll have to pay back $961 in towing and storage costs. Is that it? Yeah, 961 I'm sure he'll appear in the Dandenong Magis on the 20th of April for drink driving, driving in a dangerous manner, careless driving, driving under the influence, and assaulting police. Few charges. Yeah, I reckon he's uh, got a little holiday at Her Majesty's Pleasure coming. (laughs) Not a long one, but uh, I reckon that might be on the agenda. Always look to see if there's a police car at the intersection before you do burnouts. (laughs) Or just don't do burnouts. That's better advice. (laughs) Listen to Tom, don't listen to me. Joining me in studio is a man who may have first come to your attention under the business monkeyer Dr. Ageless. Shane Charter, good morning. Enough of the monkey stuff, mate. <laughs> <laughs> Look, thanks for joining us. Plenty to talk about with you, but I want to start actually off with Laurel Hubbard, who was the weightlifter who we were talking about before. And uh, given that you know, you're a, we're a bodybuilder, you're into this sort of space of managing testosterone levels, I'm interested in your take. So the situation is Gavin Hubbard was a male weightlifter who competed for New Zealand. He then made the transition to a woman and is now Laurel Hubbard. And Laurel Hubbard is now competing in the women's weightlifting class. Knowing all that you know about body chemistry, is that fair? Uh, no, you, you couldn't consider it fair in as much as even though they've set uh, upper limits for testosterone by definition as 10 nanomoles per litre, testosterone per se as circulating free testosterone doesn't give you the true indication of the anabolic status of the individual. So the IOC set the sort of testing level as your testosterone as per nanomoles per litre, which is a measurement. And you say that that rule doesn't actually reflect how much of an advantage a transitioning person might have. No, no, because you're circulating testosterone, which is the total testosterone they're referring to, is affected by your serum hormone binding globulin. What that simply means is a certain amount of that testosterone is bound and unavailable for use. And there's another amount of that testosterone that's called circulating free testosterone that gives you your anabolic status. So measuring the the first indicator isn't a true indication of the status of the individual. And in fact, uh, people come to uh, myself and other biochemists to get an increase in their circulating free testosterone whilst maintaining a set total testosterone within the boundaries of the limitations there that are implied. It's very complicated areas, isn't it? And the IOC, uh, I think it's going to be an issue they'll probably deal with more and more uh, as the years go by. We're talking to Shane Charter, formerly known as Dr. Ageless. And Shane, the Essendon Supplement Saga, you were in the middle of it. Did it change your life? Uh, it, it changed a lot of people's lives. Um, mine, uh, along with everyone else, uh, have a lot of empathy for all the people that were involved, except for one particular clown. Um, uh, Stephen the, Dank. Yeah, yeah. I <laughs> have no empathy for him, but uh, everyone else that's had to suffer the, the consequences of certain people's actions, uh, is, you know, un, it's, uh, it's, it's a shame. What do you think of Dank? Well, you know, unless there's a circus in town, I don't really want to talk about him. Have you? When was the last time you would have spoken to him? Uh, d- uh, upon his exit from Essendon, he was looking for assistance, and um, I said, "Well, you, the only assistance you need, mate, is a good lawyer." Mm. Well, he, he's always talking about his various legal challenges. 
James Hurd yesterday, you uh, used to work with him as a, as a personal trainer, I think, if I remember correctly. Correct. Yeah, and uh, yesterday you would have read the article, as many of us did, where, where he talked about uh, being in psychiatric care uh, and how the love of his wife, Tanya, got him through and, and that he'd also been battling a, a clinical case of depression. What did you make of that? Yeah, it's, a, it's very brave uh, for someone who's always been held in such high esteem as uh, you know, the professional athlete, um, the golden boy, someone that uh, everyone would aspire to, um, for him to come forward and admit that he has mental health issues and seek the help that's uh, professionally required, that's, that's brave. Uh, it's, it's, um, I think it's something that uh, he can actually look at now as having a more positive influence in the broader community because mental health issues are very underdiagnosed and as a male uh, and in, with men in general, they're very reluctant to come forward and admit their deficiencies, especially someone uh, of James Hurd's ilk. So my hat uh, comes off to him and it just shows the quality of the person he is. Now, last week you were back in the papers too with reports that Essendon had approached Mick Gatto to uh, try and broker some sort of arrangement between yourself and the club. Did you ever become involved in those uh, discussions? Did, did Mick ever approach you on behalf of Essendon? Oh, look, I'm happy to have lunch with Mick and uh, have a good chat and a laugh. Uh, there was a lot going on back then and a lot of uh, misrepresentation, talk and hearsay. So uh, that's all in the past. What we want to do is move forward now and... Uh, look at uh, what has happened, build from the mistakes, uh, have positive outcomes, like even to the point where James has you know, hit rock bottom. Uh, hopefully with the help of his family, with professional help, things will move forward uh, personally and professionally and within the club systems and uh, operations have taken place that have improved the protocols within all clubs, not just Essendon. So hopefully things can be uh, looked at as uh, what has transpired has transpired, but moving forward, changes and positivity can come out of it. We're talking to Shane Charter, who was known as Dr. Ageless around the time of the Essendon Supplement Saga. What are you up to these days? Uh, well, Dr. Ageless, uh, in terms of anti-aging, it's still on the agenda. We're 2,000 years in. As an alchemist, we're always looking for the elixir of life and <laughs> looking at how we can improve quality and quantity of life of people. And we're on the cusp now with the Human Genome Project having mapped the DNA sequence and given us the blueprint on how to live longer. We've got stem cell technology, which is just around the corner. We can uh, tailor-make organs to rebuild people. And with peptide technology affording people the access to therapeutic agents that will really benefit, improve and rehabilitate individuals, uh, we can uh, really look forward to anti-ageing and rejuvenation medicine uh, being in the next decade. We might have access to sort of cloning technology and that sort of thing, but there are some people that could never be replicated. And you're rolling deep this morning with the push-up king himself, Jakey <laughs> King, who is a one-of-a-kind. You've been working with him? Yeah, Jake, uh, as it was well documented, had some serious um, injuries um, relating to his football career. And uh, as a football athlete, as it's well known, there's certain code that you have to abide by in terms of what products you can and can't use to rebuild. Now, unfortunately, uh, he'd reached a critical point where the load on his body was exceeding the ability to repair it. And it wasn't until after he had finished football that he was able to access um, the reparative properties of peptides and other products that could get him back to the fighting fit nature he is now. Well, the, no doubt doing, what, 2,000 push-ups in a row at footy trip <laughs> one year will have some damage on your body.
He's looking at me going, it was 5,000, Seb. Just get yeah. it right. <laughs> Out there in the studio. Well, look, Shane, appreciate you coming in this morning and, and padding up to some of the tough questions around, uh, you know, what has been a difficult situation for a lot of people. And good to hear that, um, you know, your, your mind space is in a positive place at the moment. Excellent. Thanks for the opportunity, Seb. Yesterday, James Hurd spoke for the first time about his battle with clinical depression and also his recent visit to a psychiatric facility where he spent five weeks after a sleeping tablet overdose. And Hurd says when he first knew that something was wrong, he called Beyond Blue. And joining us on the line is the chairman of Beyond Blue, Jeff Kennett. Good morning. Good morning, Sam. What do you make of James Hurd publicly talking about his battle with mental health issues? Well, uh, it's a brave thing to do, as we know, particularly for a male and uh, even more so for a high-profile male. But I hope it helps James on the road to recovery. When you're suffering stress, anxiety, a mental illness, admitting that you have a problem is the first step to recovery. And then, uh, as you pursue the activities and the attention, professional attention you require to get to that recovered state, to be able to talk about it publicly is not only good for your own soul, but it's particularly good potentially for others uh, who might in this case be high profile sportsmen and women because it might encourage them to seek help. So I hope this has been not only important and good for James Hurd's recovery, I also hope it has a uh, ramifications for others who are battling stress, anxiety, depression, but not at this stage prepared to seek help. Are you surprised that he is suffering from that condition? I mean, he has been through so much over the past four years. I guess I'm not surprised. Uh, Everyone responds differently to stress and circumstances. Being a coach is a stressful job in itself, and it does require very careful management of your own uh, personal being and your thought processes. Uh, given what else has happened at Essendon, regardless of where blame might lie. Uh, again, that's another layer of incredible stress and exposure. So I guess I'm not surprised uh, that he's been in a difficult position. Uh, and maybe I'm not surprised that at the end of this period of time, he has fundamentally hit a brick wall. He's hit the brick wall. Uh, he's been receiving professional help for a number of weeks. Uh, He would not have recovered yet, but he'd be on the road to recovery. And therefore, he's going to have to manage the next uh, period of time in his life very carefully. But there's no reason why, with continuing good professional help, reassessing what he's done, where he is, and what he wants to achieve in the future, he can't return to very good health. And I mean that both physically and mentally. What's your take on this? No doubt a debate happening in newsrooms this morning about how to approach James Hurd for interviews or, or for, for uh, sort of shots in a television sense. You have a situation here where he's put this out through a column that you know is sort of, uh, I presume, part of a paid arrangement, um, but at the same time, he's a person in recovery. What would your advice be to the media in terms of the way they uh, look to access James Heard over the next few weeks? Well, I think this is where it's somewhat difficult because James has right now, today, made this an issue. And therefore, you can't blame the media for seeking further comment uh, or footage, uh, etc. 
I'm not sure if I had been James, I would have done it just yet. I would have waited until maybe later in the year when having come out of uh, treatment at the Albert Road Clinic, I'd allowed more time to pass because he would have realised that once he voluntarily gave this story to the Herald Sun, he was saying to the media, uh, I am back in play. Now, that will put pressure on him. He will be, I guess, and I don't know, but I'm suspecting that he will resist some of that pressure. But I think it's very hard to resist it or to request resisting it when, in fact, you've made the sort of comments you have today. So he's, he's put himself back into play, and I'm just speaking as a layman. I'm not a professional in this area. If I'd been James Heard, I probably would have waited towards the end of the year, make sure I get my own health properly back on track before I did it. But that's just Jeff Kennett speaking. James has obviously thought differently and got different advice, so be it. But he now can't be surprised if the media are seeking to interview him. Well, Jeff, it's a testament to the organisation that you set up and led Beyond Blue that that was Heard's first point of call when he knew that he needed some help. He says himself he called Beyond Blue, and we appreciate you taking a couple of minutes to have a chat to us. Jeff Kennett, the chairman of Beyond Blue, thanks for your time. Great pleasure, and let's hope James and anyone out there who is suffering from stress, anxiety or depression understands that in seeking professional help, you can get back to a very healthy place. Indeed, and no doubt some listeners out there will get something out of that as well. And you heard the great man Arnold Schwarzenegger just a moment ago. He's back in Melbourne. He's becoming a regular. He's back for the third year of his Arnold Classic Health and Fitness event. And he flew in yesterday, uh, always the media pack waiting for him at Tullamarine Airport. He was squired away to a hotel in South Bank where he then had a nice long sleep before holding a press conference yesterday at Crown at the Grady Pizza Place down there. Now, you might recall that the last time Arnie was here, he went for a bike ride and a couple of the uh, sort of nanny staters got stuck into him because he was riding around parts of the city without a helmet on. Now, I'm not undermining people who say you should wear a helmet. Obviously, that's the law, so we move on. Uh, But, you know, you don't want to... I mean, a guy like Arnie is basically going to do what he wants, unfortunately. So I didn't want Arnie to get into trouble this time around. And so to do him a favour on behalf of Melbourne, I gave him a present. It was a bike helmet, and while he was grateful, I don't think he was altogether wrapped with the present. Here's how it went down. We've purchased a helmet for you, should you want to go bike riding, because we don't want you to get a fine. So that's for you. Thank you very much. It, uh, I hope it very, fits. Very sweet of you. Thank you very much. I hate wearing helmets. There you go. So he doesn't like wearing helmets. Tommy Bainbridge from Tom and Ollie, Triple M's Night Show, pushing the buttons for us. Do you like helmets? Uh, yes, I do. I always ride my bike with a helmet, Seb. Are you a cyclist? Uh, I have been known to ride a little bit, Yeah, but now I'm living in the Western suburbs. Everything's far away from Right. There. Okay. So, so need a car to get into town for yeah, that. Yeah, absolutely. Get over to South Melbourne and Triple M Central. So there you go. Arnie doesn't like bike helmets. So I feel like there's another story coming down the pipeline across the weekend <laughs> when he gets snapped once again, riding the bike share scheme around Melbourne without a helmet. How's that bike share scheme going, by the way? It's going pretty well. Do I know a couple it? of guys at work use it. Do they? Yeah, yeah, they love it. Well, like, no, like a triple M work? Yeah, absolutely. I'll have to name names in the break. Who was it? Um, don't know. We'll, we'll give you some thinking music. Last night, all the journalists of Melbourne got together for the big 
Quill Awards, the Melbourne Press Club Awards, celebrating excellence in journalism. And uh, Tommy Bainbridge, who pushes the buttons for us and also hosts the Tom and Ollie Show Monday to Friday nights on Triple M. Monday to Wednesday. Monday to Wednesday. Give us enough airtime. I so. gave you two extra nights. I've done that before. <laughs> I'm just, I'm barracking for you, mate. Thanks, man. Yeah, no. Uh, anyway, if you can so, tell any of the bosses, that'd be great. I'll, I'll pass it on. I hope they're listening. So some uh, great work recognised last night at the Quill Awards. Caroline Wilson won the Best Sports Journalist so of the Year. Awesome. That's yeah, great. She's great, Karen. Oh, absolutely. Uh, and also the gold quill, so I guess like the gold Logie, the, the best story of the year, went to Four Corners, which was Louise Milligan and Andy Burns. So well done to them too. Absolutely. But we had a winner last night. As Woo! far as I know, Triple M's first ever quill award. I was lucky enough to, to win the best radio news category. The sound of two hands clapping. Thank you, Tom. Bravo. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, and that was for uh, a report on Usain Bolt from Rio as part of our Olympic coverage on the night Usain Won 100 metre gold, which was amazing. I actually haven't heard this, Seb. I haven't heard it. No. Well, some people might be interested to hear what it sounds like, given we've been lucky enough to win an award for it. So uh, here you go. Let's go over to Brazil, Rio, the Olympic Stadium, and Usain Bolt's 100 metre final. They were the first words you heard when you entered the Olympic Stadium. Other great athletes were already competing, but Usain Bolt was there to do the impossible. I'm crazy tonight for Usain, okay? He's a great hero. I mean, this is going to be one in the next 50 years. We won't see another Usain like this. Bolt was out to win a third straight Olympic gold in the 100 metres. He has turned up. And dozens of Jamaicans had made the journey to watch him in person. So it took me almost 24 hours to get here. But... I will do it again for you, sir. Chris lives in Bolt's neighbourhood back in Jamaica, and he says the world champion spends his downtime playing soccer on the street with locals. We hang out together sometimes in Jamaica. He's a very humble, very cool guy. He hangs out with regular people like me, and that's why we love him so much. Among those dressed in the Jamaican colours, Vilma Charlton, a three-time Olympic sprinter who ran with Raylene Boyle in the 1970s. He's awesome, and it's not only his performance, but his personality that goes with it. There wasn't nerves in the stadium. Anticipation, sure, expectation. And when the time came, it felt like the grandstand tightened around the track to watch the historic race. So let's have a look. Bolt's giving Gatlin a start. He's well back. Gatlin's got a good lead. Bolt to come in hard from the Eddie. Gatlin's still in front. Usain's going to do it. He's a genius. The greatest. When Bolt crossed the line in first, they began to dance in the aisles. And once again, that chant picked up around the stadium. And then things began to quieten down. And I sought out another Jamaican. In another era, Johan Blake would have been an Olympic champion. He ran fourth in the 100 metres last night. But there was no jealousy, only awe for the man who made history here in Rio. When uh, people ask you, what's your view of Usain? How do you describe him as an athlete? I would say he's a true icon, he's a legend. You know, he's, he's amongst the, the greats, like uh, Mohamed Ali. You know, he's just incredible. And as you can see tonight, he call it 12 years and doing this and, and getting three gold medals. And it, it's incredible. It was incredible, an incredible night. And the reason we are playing that report of Usain Bolt's 100 metre gold is because last night it was judged best radio news report Woo! at the Melbourne Press Club Quill Awards. So well done, Triple M. Good to see the M's up there getting recognised for journalism. Rock, sport, comedy and news. We got it all. Triple M. Should mention too that best radio news quill that we won couldn't have been done without the help of David Collins, our audio engineer. We'll see you next weekend.
Pedders, the experts in undercar. Noble. Book a Prius to brakes, steering and suspension check for just $28. Unlike Pedders, there's plenty of bull with Seb Costello. Triple M's Weekend Breakfast.